God's Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As the circumstances of the world become more extreme and confusing, we must tune our ears to the voice of our Heavenly Father. His revelation is essential to navigate the road ahead. Welcome to Current Affairs with Sam Soul. The jealousy of Cain manifested in the murder of his brother Abel is a spirit that is carried through throughout the Scriptures. We see the fullness of it reaching its apogee with the harlot, the spirit of Babylon, who rides upon the beast and drinks the blood of the saints. The harlot is a pretended bride. It does not have the intimacy that is derived from oneness with a husband. The harlot pretends to be a bride by engaging in the same sexual acts as a bride might, but her heart remains separate. It is a monetary transaction. It is very much offering, like offering the fruit of your labor in the hope of being acceptable to God. It is the spirit of religion. It's what it is. It's not anything else. Now as it moves through history, it takes on mass and weight. And as I said, the reason it's three sixes, the reason it's three sixes is that the matter is established beyond controversy. When the thing arises three times, you ought to know and recognize it after the first time. So when you're discerning, when you are perceiving, the number of the beast, when you're perceiving the number of the beast and you're looking at the three sixes, you're looking at the three references that are, that are involved with the concept of that which kills the righteous. Here let me just pause for a moment and address the number six. You'll see it, you'll see it repeatedly through, through these matters, through these processes. Six is not the completion, seven is. Seven is the day, in fact the word Shabbat uh, is derived from the number, from the meaning of the number seven, which is completion. God rested, which means all that God had in mind to put into creation had been completed and so He stopped after the sixth day. So in a sense the sixth day is a day of toil or a day of work. The seventh day is when the work is complete and God enters into His rest and has remained in rest since then. Why did God say to to Adam, 
that he would step out of rest and define the manner of his being out of rest as by the sweat of your brow you will, you will eat bread until the end of your days. Why? Because the rest of God is the completed posture of man when he is in Christ. Man reconciled to God is at rest. I'll come to that in a moment. Man unreconciled to God is in an economy of his own toil. He is in the sixth day. He steps out of the seventh day. He steps backward into the sixth day. He is in an environment of toil and everything he does and everything he thinks reflects his toil, reflects the fact that he's not positioned accurately in Christ, but rather he's positioned in creation. One might say that when Adam sinned, not only did he step out of God's rest, but as importantly, he stepped back into toil. And therefore, everything about his perceptions, his perception of God, his perception of himself, his perception of the earth around him, his perception of the woman, all of that represents friction and toil. How do we know that? What did he do immediately upon stepping out of rest. He took up tailoring. He made for himself clothes of fig leaves. Before he didn't need any clothing, he was clothed in the glory of God. When you are at rest, you're clothed in the glory of God. When you are in toil, you're clothed in your own imagination. What do I mean by that? How do you dress to go out for any occasion? What informs your judgments? What informs your judgment is how you wish to be seen as yourself. If you were to step out in the glory of God, would it matter how you were dressed? Not at all because the glory of God is blinding and no one can see you when you're clothed in the glory of God, they'll see God. When Christ who is your life appears, the glory of God will appear on your face. Like Moses carried the glory of God when he came down from the mountain. It is possible to be clothed in the glory of God, that's where man was before he sinned. After he sinned, he took back up the responsibilities associated with, it, associated with toil, the first of which was to clothe himself. That's why Cain is a tiller of the ground and not judged to be righteous. So as, he moves, as his spirit moves forward into history, we see it again in bold relief in the book of Daniel as 
as it engulfs Nebuchadnezzar. Because Nebuchadnezzar is indistinguishable from the spirit of Babylon. And it's why the woman in Revelation 17 is called the harlot with a name written on her forehead, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. Now, what, where does Babylon itself come from? Babylon comes from uh, the reference, first reference to Daniel, uh, first reference to Babylon is found in the book of Genesis, the 11th chapter. Let's go back and take just a peek at it, shall we? So, uh, Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9, here is where Babylon originates. Nebuchadnezzar arises as a son of Babylon and builds the city known as Babylon. But there's a spirit to Babylon which fully pervaded Nebuchadnezzar. And when when it continues on in nations of the earth, it is as destructive as the spirit first was. So here it is, Genesis 11.1, and the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar. This would be some of the descendants, oddly enough, of Cain. A plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build a city and a tower that reaches, and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us build and make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the earth, upon the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. With the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. The children of men, descendants of Cain. And the Lord said, Behold, the people people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them for which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, and uh, that they may make, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the earth, and they left off the building of the city. Therefore, it is the name of it, therefore is the name of it called Babel because the Lord did confound the language of all the earth. So what was this, and and, then let me just finish it, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of the earth. Now, so 
What was the point? The point was they hoped to build a tower to the heavens. This is a way of accessing God by the works of your hands. Now, I want to show you before I even get into uh, the story of Nebuchadnezzar, come back now with me. We're looking at this tower to the heavens. Come back with me to Daniel uh, chapter 4 and I want to look at verse 20. This is a vision that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar. It's a vision about Nebuchadnezzar himself. Keep in mind, we're thinking about building a city to the heavens. Religion is about bridging between heaven and earth by the works of your hands. All right? Here, here's the vision of Nebuchadnezzar. I'll come back and deal with this in greater relief, but here I want to introduce it. Nebuchadnezzar had uh, a dream and Daniel is interpreting the dream. My Lord, he said, the dream be of them that hate thee, may may the dream be of those who hate you. Uh, But the interpretation and the interpretation thereof be to your enemies. But here it is, the tree which you saw, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair and so on. He said, it is thou, O king. Now let's go and talk about the spirit of Babylon. What We've seen the introduction of it. Babylon is known for wanting to ascend to the heavens. That's the spirit when, it was, when the city was first founded on the plains of Shinar. And one of its principal builders was a hunter of men whose name was Nimrod. And the idea was let's build a tower to the heavens. Let's construct a bridge between God and man so that man, the builder of the bridge, may have access to God by the works of his hands. You know, there's a fellow whom they call a pontiff. It's a Latin word for bridge. It's the bridge between the gods and men. Before the Latins were Christianized, pagan Rome had a form of religion in which there was a thing called the Collegium Pontifex, which is to say the association of the bridges and that was a reference to the priest. And the chief of these of the Collegium Pontifex was called in Latin Pontifex Maximus or simply Pont Max, which is one of the titles of the sitting Pope in Rome. So this concept of a tower to the heavens 
built institutionally, has been with us since the days of Babylon, since the founding of Babylon. Hence the spirit of Babylon is intimately connected to the beast, intimately connected to the beast and it has the number of the man out of rest, the man of the sixth day. I'm giving you three references because the three sixes are a roadmap that tell us, look for this sign, it reoccurs. It's the man out of rest who moves from Cain and shortly thereafter to the building of the city of Babel where the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of human toil to build a tower to the heavens, the same spirit that was in Cain who wanted to offer the works of his hands, the sweat of his brow as the basis of his negotiated relationship to God. That was how he attempted to build a a a temple or a tower rather to the heavens by the works of his hands. Now they're building a tower to the heavens by the works of their hands and God depicts Nebuchadnezzar as a tree whose top reached the heavens. The symbolism is unmistakable. This is the second of the of the three references. The third is the mouth that speaks blasphemous things against God, against the saints, against the dwellers in heaven. It's a replacement. That is why the war at the end of the age is a theological war, it's a debate. It is a, it is a, Uh, it, It is a conflict of ideas for, and a war is to define who is God, who dwells in the heavens, to bring as it were, to bring the heavens down to earth. That's why he causes signs, fire to come down from heaven in the plain sight of men. It's all an effort to define God in the image of man, of man's making. But let's look at Nebuchadnezzar because he is such a display of the spirit of Babylon that it leads us right into the understanding or in fact it summarizes what I've been uh, laboring to lay out for you, what is the meaning of 666. Let him perceive the number of the beast men of understanding, a perception that has to do with understanding the scriptures. You know, now you know why the guessers can't even come near the deconstruction of scripture. They don't start with the scriptures. They start with an arithmetic, an arithmetic uh, approach. Now let's go back and I want to just take a broad look at the first uh, four chapters or five chapters of the book of uh, Daniel. Now, in the second chapter, here I'm just going to, to tell you 
what you'll find in the first six chapters of the book of Daniel. So in the, in the, in the second chapter of the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Now keep in mind, I'm attempting to show you how the spirit of Babylon is the continuation of the spirit of Cain, which in turn will finally, in the reference of the three sixes, will culminate in the mouth, the horn sitting on top of the beast and the mouth that speaks blasphemies against God. So in the second chapter of the book of Daniel, the captives have been taken really from all over uh, the, the, the world that Nebuchadnezzar conquered. That those conquered would include Egyptians, Syrians, and certainly uh, both, both Israel and Judah. And they've been taken into Babylonian captivity. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream in chapter 2. And he woke, he awoke and he couldn't tell what the dream was, nor, nor could he tell the interpretation, obviously. So he calls all the, the wise men, the, the soothsayers, the magicians, all of those who practiced um, uh, um, occultic arts in Babylon, and he said, Tell me my here's your task. Tell me what my dream was and tell me the interpretation. Needless to say, they said, King, O King, live forever. Nobody can do that. Only the gods know the dreams. If you can tell us the dream, we'll surely tell you the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm about to kill all of you because I need you to tell me the dream and tell me the interpretation. There is no negotiation, you're stalling for time. He issued the command to kill them all. And the captain of the guard, his name was Arioch, was instructed to carry out this uh, order of execution. Well, he, among the people slated for execution was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had been appointed officials in, uh, in Babylon and on the basis that they were wise men who knew God. Well, Daniel prayed and asked God to reveal the secrets to him. And of course, God did. And I'm abbreviating the story because I want to keep the focus on Nebuchadnezzar. So at the appointed time, Daniel appears before Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel says, Of myself I can do nothing, but God in heaven, the God I know, the God I serve, tells me or tells men visions and dreams. So here is what it is. You, O king, saw this great vision in which there was a great image, the head of which was gold, chest and arms of silver, the belly and thighs of brass, the legs of iron, and the feet and toes of iron and clay. Then you saw 
a stone cut out of the mountain without hands. It was hurled at the foot of the image. It came crashing down and was like powdered dust. And then the stone grew and filled all the dimensions of your dreams. He said, God wants you to know that beginning with you, a series of things will be precipitated in the earth in which kingdoms will come into the earth. But but the reason you're having this dream is to begin with you. You are the head of gold. A kingdom less than you will come up after that that will be as inferior as gold is inferior, as silver is inferior to gold. Then there will come a third kingdom that will be typified by bronze and it will rule the whole earth. There will come a fourth kingdom and it will have in it the strength of iron and the weakness of clay. The legs will be of iron and the feet and the toes of iron and clay. So there will be ten toes of clay mixed with iron. And he says, the, the, the God of heaven will in the days of these kings establish His kingdom and that's what's typified by the stone cut out of the mountains without hands, which is hurled at the foot of, of this image and it destroys the image and, and the kingdom fills the dimensions of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So he says, God has chosen to tell you about this because it begins now with you and it begins with Babylon. You are the head of gold. Finally there will be a kingdom that will not be given to another. All these other kingdoms will be, but this kingdom typified by the stone will not be given into the hands of anyone else. It will break in pieces all the other kingdoms and it will consume them and and it will stand forever. Nebuchadnezzar was overjoyed. He fell at Daniel's feet and he said, this is the vision, this is the dream and the interpretation rests well with me. We'll offer sacrifices to your God. God is God. His pronouncement at the end of the, of the second chapter, Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's pronouncement is all-encompassing. This is what he says. He says, Um, Daniel, he says, the king fell on his face, Nebuchadnezzar fell, and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer uh, various sacrifices to him and then he says, of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of the secrets, seeing that thou seeing that you've been allowed to reveal these secrets. So he says, God is God and this is who we should worship. Now, I want to introduce the second, the, the, I want to introduce in the time remaining chapter 3. So he just gets through saying, there's no God but God. Chapter 3 says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height height was threescore cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. It doesn't say Nebuchadnezzar made an idol to be uh, uh, an idol of a Babylonian god. He said simply 
he made an image of gold. And this image is 60 and 6. So this is number 2. It's 60 and 6. This is an image in celebration of the greatness of Nebuchadnezzar. And he commands everybody to worship him in effigy. I want to pick up there when we come back at number two of three. I'm Sam Solon and I'll see you again. Bye-bye.